Hello friends, I'm Vance Rains, Senior Pastor of First Church Coral Springs. Welcome to our podcast. I hope this is a source of inspiration and faith as you grow in your walk with Christ. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoy the message. So this morning, uh, we have begun the season of Lent. Actually, it started Wednesday with Ash Wednesday. Uh, Lent is a 40-day season, not including Sundays, uh, which leads all the way to Good Friday when we observe the crucifixion of Jesus, Saturday, uh, Holy Saturday, the day before Easter when we observe that Jesus lay dead in his tomb. Uh, And so Lent really is about uh, that time of year where we refocus on the meaning of the cross. That that we know that in that last season of Jesus' life, he knew what was coming. He knew his purpose, his mission was to die sacrificially for your sins and for my sins. And so Lent is a time for us to to refocus on that, to recognize the necessity of the cross for my salvation, for your salvation. Uh, So for many many churches, Lent is a more somber season because we're talking about sacrificial death and sin. It's It's a more serious season. For many, it's a time to renew their faith and put some spiritual practices into place to take you to a deeper spirituality. And so this year for Lent, uh, we're going to be focused on prayer because prayer is a major way that we can draw near to God and uh, become closer to God. So we're going to help you a little bit with prayer. Now, let's be honest. Everybody knows about prayer, right? In fact, I'd go so far as to say everybody prays, whether you know it or not. Uh, scripture says that the Spirit lives within us and prays within, within us when we don't know how to pray. I think all of us know about prayer. We, we actually pray probably more than we think. Um, but, but prayer is also a little bit mysterious. We wonder, am I, am I doing it right? Am I saying the right things? Am I asking the right things? Uh, is, is it making it up to where it needs to go for God to hear it? Uh, most of us find some comfort in prayer and yet discomfort too. You know, somebody says, hey, would you lead us in prayer? Oh, I don't know. I don't want to say the wrong thing. I don't want to do the wrong thing, right? So pr- prayer is a little bit of a, of a mysterious kind of thing. Well, I'm hoping to take away some of that, not the, not the, not the good part of mystery. It's good that it's mystery, entering into mystery, but the, the part that feels uncomfortable. The truth is there are an unlimited number of ways to pray. People pray in, in every language known to man. Some people pray standing up. Some people pray uh, face down on the ground. Some people pray kneeling. Some people pray with their eyes open to the sky. Some people with their head bowed, their eyes closed. Some people with their hands clasped. Some with their hands open. Some working beads. Some people pray spontaneously. I think we all do that. You know, maybe a sunset. Like, wow. That was beautiful. That's a prayer. Or, or, you know, you have that moment in traffic where you slam on your brakes and you pray out a prayer that you didn't realize you were going to pray, right? Uh, ah, God, help me, right? It's, we're praying all the time. Sometimes we're praying in formal ways, like here in church, some in very informal ways. Some of us pray, you know, kind of like that, that structured way, like before every meal we say a prayer, or before I go to bed at night, or maybe you have a morning disciplined time. Uh, Some people pray comfortably publicly. Some people, no way I'm ever going to pray in front of another person. Uh, Some people use lots of words. Some people don't use any words at all. Just just silence can be prayer. Lots of ways to pray. Um, Forms of prayer, yoga, 
is a form of prayer, I think. If you do it that way, Tai Chi can be a form of prayer. Some people say exercise is the way they pray. I don't get it, but okay. Um, some people use the arts as a way of praying. I can tell you when I'm working on my bonsai trees, it's kind of a meditative kind of thing. Um, some people find God out in nature, find that's a kind of a place of prayer. Dance, music, meditation, contemplation, mindfulness, journaling, all, all ways of connecting and communicating with God. Some people pray long prayers. Pastors are accused of that. Um, I, I, I can't tell you how often somebody will say, Pastor, would you mind praying a short prayer for us? Which makes me always wonder, what are you implying? Uh, you need to tell me it's short. Uh, and some of us pray short prayers, very short prayers. And I'm going to suggest that it's possible that we may be already praying a lot of prayers we're not even worried, even aware of that may not be anything more than just a single word. And so that's our theme for Lent. One word prayers. If the right word is said in the right way for the right reason. That's all you need. That's all you need. And I bet you're praying a lot more prayers than you even realize you are. My hope through this series is that prayer is going to become more interesting. It's going to become less intimidating. That you can begin to incorporate some of these one-word prayers more into your daily life. And probably for most of us realize, oh, I pray a lot of prayers already. That, that, that you know, when the Bible talks about praying without ceasing, most of us are already doing that. We just may not be conscious of it. Mother Teresa says, deep down in every heart... There is knowledge of God. It pre-exists that God just made us that way. And so she concludes, and deep down in every heart, human heart, is the desire to communicate with him. That that's already within us, that we were made by God that way. Uh, like I said, the Holy Spirit, is our, as a Christian, the Holy Spirit's already within you. You are already united to God, and so prayers are happening whether you know it or not. Now, sometimes, often, most of us, I think, pray intentional prayers. Like there was a moment you pause and you say something to God um, in some form or way. Prayer, I think, is one of the ultimate expressions of faith. The ultimate expression of faith. Because it, it means, if I'm praying, it means I believe there's somebody to pray to. And it also communicates something about who I think that is that I'm praying to. That they care enough to listen. That there's a reason I want them to know God. That I also might think that God might actually have something that can help me in this moment, if nothing else but his, his comforting presence, right? I think prayer is the ultimate act of faith because it's acknowledging there's somebody out there who cares enough to listen to the situation I'm currently in. And Lamott says, prayer means that in some unique way, we believe we're invited into a relationship with someone who hears us when we speak in silence. Walter Wangren says, the weakest, most miserable sinner shall be heard for no other reason than this, that God chooses to hear prayer. I mean, that's that, that's an act of faith, too, just that that is who God is, a God who wants to hear from you, right? Is it because God doesn't know what's going on in your life that he wants to hear from you? Like, oh, I wasn't aware of that. 
No, I mean, God knows everything. God's omniscient. God's fully aware. So it's interesting that God desires to hear our prayer because he wants to hear it from our lips. He wants to spend time in communication. Just as in a, a relationship of parent, child, husband, wife, friend, and friend, there's value just in that sharing of here's what's happening in my life and you care enough to want to know and show interest, right? A prayer can be more than that too, but that says a lot about who God is, I think right? That God desires to hear. Now, so here we are in this season of Lent, where we focus on the cross, where we focus on our sin. And so while we can pray any, pray any kind of prayer any time during the year, a particularly appropriate kind of prayer this time of year is confession and repentance. And we're going to talk about a variety of prayers through the next several weeks. But I want to start today, as we start this Lenten season, thinking about confession and repentance because as we think about the cross we have to remember i'm the reason you are the reason it's our sin that caused the necessity of the cross anybody come from a catholic background a few of you yeah okay so you may remember if you came from a very formal uh, catholic church that in the old latin mass at the eucharist at the altar when they served the, the lord's supper there was a point in the prayer where the priest would pound his chest and he would say, mea culpa, mea culpa, mea maxima culpa, which means, as you see, through my fault, through my fault, through my most grievous fault. Basically, he's saying that this sacrament where we eat symbols of Jesus' body and blood, Jesus' body broken, his blood spilled on the cross, that the necessity of this is because of me. I did this. That it's my fault that Jesus had to die on the cross. And of course, he's speaking for all of us. That all of us really, at that moment and many moments in our life, not to just pound our chest, mea culpa. I did this. Anytime we see an image of the cross, that's appropriate pound your chest, my mea culpa, I, I did this. Now think about that. That it's, it's because of me, it's because of you, it's because of human sin that Jesus had to die. It's, 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 it's on us. And we're the same ones who become the beneficiaries of it. It's necessary because of our sin and we become the ones who become recipients of his grace and his forgiveness. I mean, this scripture tells the story over and over from, from Genesis chapter 2 all the way through the New Testament that God's desire is to know us, to be in relationship with us, to be intimate with us, and we just push away. It starts with the, the Garden of Eden and eating the forbidden fruit, and it just keeps continuing. There is a, there is a human tendency to say, God, I don't need you. Hosea eleven seven. my people are determined to turn from me. It just seems to happen over and over and over. And so today I want to talk about a one-word prayer, a simple prayer in response to the acknowledgement of the sin of my life, and it's this. Sorry. A heartfelt, meaningful, I'm sorry. You ever had to tell somebody you're sorry before? You ever received an I'm sorry and know they meant it? 
That's a powerful word when we know that it's meant it, not just that we got caught, right? I always said that to my son. Are you sorry because you got caught or sorry because you did it? Well, I know the answer, right? Now, now this, this prayer of I'm sorry can take many forms. So those of you who said you came from a Catholic background, uh, in the Catholic Church, it's called the Sacrament of Reconciliation. It's a very formal process. You go to the church, you, you meet with the priest, you kneel down, and you say, Father, forgive me for I have sinned. It's been a week, a month, a year, a decade since my last confession. You spill your guts, and the priest says, okay, then I want you to do the following, ten Hail Marys, whatever it might be, and then says, you're forgiven. He declares your forgiveness. It's considered a sacrament and a, and a requirement within the Catholic Church. Now, in the Methodist Church, we don't have a sacrament of confession. We don't have that kind of formal process, though I will say I hear a lot of confessions. Um, people don't even realize that's what they come to do sometimes, but there, is, there does seem to be something that likes to get things off of our chest, to, to share with someone that hopefully we trust that I need to unburden myself here. Um, So while we don't believe in that as a necessary sacrament, you can confess directly to God. There is something, I think, that that helps uh, to to share that with another person and see that you're not judged and loved and that you're reminded of God's forgiveness. I'll tell you, um, there have been several times in my, uh, my walk with Jesus that I have done confession. I've gone to an Episcopal priest. They do confession also. And I've made a formal confession. And there's something... Uh, that, that is powerful about saying your worst to another human and then hearing them say, after you've let it all out, them saying, in the name of Jesus, you are forgiven. I mean, that, that's, a, that's a pretty powerful, that's a powerful thing. Now, I don't do that very often. I've only done a handful of times. What I do every year, that I recommend to you, is every Lent, at some point, I'll give myself a, a block of time and I take my journal and I will write a full confession to God. I'll write it out. Now, don't go looking for my journals. Um, I, but I write it out. And I, God, I, I confess the following. And I write and I write and I write. And when I think I can't write anymore, I'll stop for a minute. I'm like, all right, what else? And inevitably, there's more. And when I have completely exhausted it, like I can't think of a single thing, I will stop and say, okay, God, it's your turn. You show me what I'm not seeing. Because sometimes we're blind to our sins, Right? Like there's the sins I know I commit and there's the ones I didn't realize I was committing. And so I'll say, God, okay, what else? And inevitably my list gets a lot longer, right? There's something really healing about that. There's something cathartic about, sin, uh, about confessing our sins, right? There's that old expression, confession is good for the soul. It's really, it's really true. Um, in Guatemala, um, I've noticed, and, and I don't know if this is confession, but I think for some it is, um, oftentimes in Catholic churches, the, the, the Mayan men and women, they'll enter the church door and they'll drop to their knees. And they'll approach the altar sliding forward one knee at a time and praying the whole way. And you can see, like you can hear in their voice, there's a wailing in their voice. I think there's a confession going on. And oftentimes what I've noticed is that by the time they get to the altar, they stand up and they walk backward, bowed, still praying, and they get back on their knees and they do it again and again. I've seen it in Mexico, in Guadalupe, as uh, pilgrims approach the, the shrine of the Virgin of Guadalupe. It's the same thing, down on their knees, praying. Uh, sometimes on hard sidewalks, you watch, it's that, that sense of deep repentance. Well, all of that is valid, that, that, but, but I want to say today that, that even just a simple, I'm sorry, God, 
is all you necessarily need. Because if it comes from an acknowledgement that I'm a sinner, I sin, I stray from God, I fall short of the glory of God. The cross was necessary because of me. It says in 1 John 1, 8-9, If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves. Did you hear that? If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But, hear this, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness, or you might say all uncleanliness, or all rebellion, or all guilt, or all shame. He just cleanses all of that unrighteousness. Now the problem is, apparently, I mean, John says, if we say we're without sin, we're a liar. Well, apparently there must be people of faith who do. Right? He wouldn't say that if there was not something he was addressing. And so Jesus tells the story about two men who go to the temple to pray. One is a Pharisee, right, the religious leader, and uh, the other is a tax collector. And in those days, people hated tax collectors. Well, we don't love them now, but... Um, they hated them because what it meant was Jews were, a Jewish tax collector was collecting taxes for Rome, which is a terrible thing, and the way they made their money was to charge a little extra. So they knew they were being taken advantage of. People hated tax collectors. They were the worst of sinners. And so the story goes that the, the Pharisee goes into the temple and he's got his shoulders back and his head high and he speaks in a loud voice. He says, God, I thank you that I am not like other people. Robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of all I get. I show up on, on uh, uh, daylight savings time Sunday. I, uh, I text to give. I, I, I look how righteous I am, Lord. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look to heaven, but beat his breast... God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And the story goes on. Jesus says, one of those men left forgiven that day. One. Which one? The tax collector, right? You say, well, that's not fair. I mean, the Pharisee, he's at the temple every day. He reads his Bible. I, he bought a 50th anniversary T-shirt. I mean, he's, he's doing all... You buy yours too, it's good. But... He's doing all the right stuff. Shouldn't he get more credit? Well, there's a, there's a place for all of that, of tithing, of serving, of course. But if it turns into a spiritual pride, then it's an issue. Because even the person who does all the right spiritual things is still a sinner. All of us are sinners saved by grace. There's no, all of us need a Savior, all of us. But here's this other guy who, who knows what people think of him, and he knows he's doing wrong, and he knows he has no standing with God whatsoever except by God's grace. So let me just ask you, if you think about that story, who are you more like, the Pharisee or the tax collector? See, a subtle thing for a lot of us Christians is to be like the Pharisee. That's why Jesus told the story. It's easy to kind of take on a spiritual pridefulness. It's easy to sort of look around. Like, who can I compare myself to? Well, they're not here this Sunday. That makes me better than them. Well, 
they haven't done as much as I have done. They're not nearly as faithful as I am, you know, so at least I, it kind of builds me up. But there's something so powerful. So there's something for God, apparently, that's so irresistible about humility and repentance that, that when we honestly tell God we're sorry and mean it, it just seems to be magnetic for God's grace and forgiveness. I've, I've heard this expression that grace and forgiveness is like water. Water always runs down to the lowest place, right? It always descends to the lowest place. You want to humble yourself to the lowest place. I'm a sinner, Lord. Have mercy on me. Lord, have mercy on me. It says Psalm 51, 17, A broken and contrite heart, God, you will not despise. Hosea 11:8. My heart, God says, is changed within me. All my compassion is aroused. I love this quote by Desmond Tutu. I'd like to share with you two simple truths, he writes. One, I want to check these. One, there is nothing that cannot be forgiven. There is nothing that cannot be forgiven. Two, there is no one undeserving of forgiveness. Do you believe that? I know theologically you believe that. Do you believe that? That there's nothing you've done that God won't forgive. There's nothing about who you are that puts you outside of God's forgiveness. When we talk about forgiveness, I particularly love uh, this little section from Psalm 103. And I want you to read it with me. And I want you to pay attention to what we're saying. Say this out loud with me, will you? It goes like this. The Lord is compassionate and merciful, very patient, and full of faithful love. God won't always play the judge. He won't be angry forever. Pause. Do you believe that? Notice the words. God is compassionate. Does this describe your God? Compassionate, merciful, patient, full of faithful love for you? Let's go on. He doesn't deal, read with me, He doesn't deal with us according to our sin or repay us according to our wrongdoing. Because as high as heaven is above the earth, that's how large God's faithful love is for those who honor Him. And here's this last one. Read this with me. As far as east is from the west, that's how far God has removed our sin from us. I love the visual image there. So just go with me for a moment. And imagine that, that, that we drive all the way east over to the coast and we drop off our sin there. And then we drive all the way over to the west coast of Florida. We're separated at least that far from our sin. Is that far enough? Then let's take it further. Imagine that we go over to the east coast of Florida, we drop off our sin, and then we go all the way over to the west coast in California. Is that far enough to be separated from your sin? Nope. Let's go further. Imagine we take it all the way across the Atlantic Ocean, and we drop it off over in Spain, and then we go all the way over to Japan on the, the west side of the Pacific. Is that far enough to be separated from our sin? And some of you are thinking, now, we're going to get into a problem here because the earth is round, and if you keep going that way, they're going to come back together. Now, here's a little tidbit you hadn't thought of, I bet. Did you know the earth, uh, the, the Bible always writes about the earth as flat? 
Every reference to the earth in the Bible is of a flat earth. A flat earth. And so when the Bible says that we've been separated as far as the east is from the west, that, that means it just keeps on going in both directions. <laughs> that God just keeps taking it further and further and further and further and further away. It is completely, utterly, completely separated from us and there's no coming back to it. Friends, this is a massively important spiritual concept. Because a lot of us, what we do is we come up here to the altar and we leave our sins here. And the next week we come back and say, I'll just take that right back with me. Or at least the guilt and shame of it. He has separated it from you as far as the east is from the west. Or did you notice the other part? If we have a flat earth, he says, he doesn't deal with us according to our sin or repay us according to our wrongdoing because as high as the heaven is above the earth, that's the biblical idea. The heaven is up there somewhere, past the stars, past the moon, past the sun. It's just way out there somewhere is heaven. That's how far is the distance between my sin and me because God has removed it from me. I want you to think about it this way. Here's another more modern understanding. I want you to imagine for a moment uh, that one of you, let's just pick on Mimi. Mimi has, has uh, this is Mimi right here. Wave to everybody. Okay, good. So what you get for sitting on the front row. Imagine for a moment that Mimi has committed a terrible crime. Not hard to imagine. Just imagine. I mean, it's terrible what she's, I mean, it's heinous what she's done. Not only that, she was caught doing it, right? And so there's this mountain of evidence. Not only was she caught doing it, they had a camera. They took a camera of her doing it. So it's been on the morning news and the 24-hour news cycle. And not only that, it's on social media. It's on Twitter. It's on Instagram. It's on Facebook. I mean, it's, it's on YouTube. It's everywhere. And so by the time she comes into the courtroom, Mimi didn't have a, sh she didn't have a shot. Like, it would just be a joke to say, you know, not guilty, you know. It's, we, we, it's obvious to the whole world she's guilty. And she goes, I'm sorry to pick on you. It's true, right? <laughs> and so you've been in her courtroom or seen it on TV, Perry Mason or something, right, or Law and Order. You come into the courtroom and they say, put your hand on the Bible. Mimi does. And do you swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth? I do. So help me God, right? And the judge says, well, what do you plea? Well, she doesn't have a choice, right? She can plea something else, but it'd be a joke. She says, well, I'm, I'm guilty. Guilty, Your Honor. So the judge weighs all the, you know, all the evidence and, and takes all of it. And so it's now time that he is going to declare uh, you know, his finding in the case, right? And so the judge goes up into a seat. Everyone be seated. The judge says, case dismissed. Doesn't say guilty, not guilty. Case dismissed. I will remove your sin as far as it is from the east and to the west. That's what God deals with us. God says, if you come to me and say you're sorry, I'll remove it from you. I'm not, you listen, do you think that you've done anything God doesn't know about? Do you think you got any secrets from God? In fact, God might be more aware of your sinfulness than you are, because a lot of us are in denial. We stand before God and we own it fully. God, I'm sorry. God says, I know. Case dismissed. God doesn't let that, God forgives that freely. God give, forgives that generously. God knows everything you're guilty for. Case dismissed. He doesn't say not guilty. You are guilty. You know it. He knows it. Case dismissed. Now let me be really clear about something, friends. That God dismisses our case does not mean there isn't consequence to our sin. Like, when we sin, we do damage. We do damage to ourselves. We do damage to our souls. We do damage often to others. 
And sometimes there's no way to make that right, as much as we might want to. We might go to somebody and say, I'm so sorry for what I did, and they're not going to be as gracious as God. Too much damage is done. There might be things that we do as sinners that, that we just can't fix in this lifetime. Consequence is a natural outcome of sin. We have to realize that. We don't just to get say, oh, sorry, and then get a pass. It doesn't work that way. That's why we have to take sin very seriously. But God's, God's saying, case dismissed. God's grace, God's forgiveness, ultimately is about a relationship with Him. God says, listen, you're going to have to deal with the consequences of what you do. I mean, I mean in an earthly kind of way. But I'm still with you. I love you. I forgive you. But we gotta be, we got to take seriously this whole thing about consequences. We're like, oh, I don't know why God's punishing me. God's not punishing you. You punished you. <laughs> it's the consequence of your choices. Or somebody else might have punished you by the consequence of their choices. This is, this is important stuff. So I want to end with this. Um, when I was in college, I was a communication major. Um, and, and we learned that the basics of communication are four things. Four things. So in a, in a basic human conversation, right, there's four parts. Um, I talk, and you listen, right? And then you talk, and I listen. I went to college for that. I just saved you four years of your life. That's <laughs> all I remember is that. <laughs> That's human communication. I talk, you listen, you talk, I listen. You're like, well, that's, that's simple. No, it's not because we don't do it very well ever. Here's what happens most of the time. I talk and you're not listening, just like right now. I talk and you're li not listening. You're distracted. You're thinking about what happened this morning. You're thinking about where you're going to go after this. You're, you're, you're thinking about what you saw in the news. You're thinking about the thing you're worrying about. You're thinking about the thing I said to you that upset you last time, and so you're still mad at me. You're thinking about, he has such lovely blue eyes. <laughs> you're thinking, he sure is prematurely gray. I mean, you, our minds go. I have, you know, they're everywhere. So you're not really listening to me. And so then when you start talking, I realize she hasn't heard a word that I said. And now I'm irritated and I'm not listening to what you say. Right? Ever notice this on social media? Right? The people just talking at each other. There's no listening. It's just t you talk, I talk. We just talk at each other. We're not listening to each other. Notice this in politics. Like there's a lot of just talking and yelling at each other. And so how simple it is. Talk, I talk, you listen, you talk, I listen. Except we don't do it very well. Humans do it really poorly. Now let's transfer that to God. What if prayer is exactly the same? The I talk and God listens. And I can count on that. It says in the Bible over and over, Psalm 54, 2 is an example. Hear my prayer, O God. Listen to the words of my mouth. God, prayer is an act of faith. God's listening. I talk, God listens. And that's where most of us stop. Sort of like Santa Claus. We write him a list, we put it in the mailbox, and we hope something comes for Christmas. Like that, we just, psh, it's gone. We just send it up. But what if there's two more parts to prayer? I talk, God listens, God talks. And I listen. I wonder if one of the reasons that prayer isn't more effectual in most of our lives is that we haven't given God a chance to talk back to us. God's talking, I believe, all the time, and we're just not listening. So I want you to imagine for a moment that you send up a, a, an honest, heartfelt, sincere, sorry. I am sorry. 
And you know God listens because God's listening God. Well, what do you suppose God might say back to you? What if, what if you have a one-word prayer and God has a one-word response? You say, sorry. Have you listened long enough to hear God say, forgiven? I forgive you. Case dismissed. Let's pray. So Lord, for those of us this morning that are sorry, receive that prayer. And for those of us who are a little more like the Pharisee, forgive us too. Lord, in the season of Lent, may we increasingly bring before you our sins. Lord, show us our sins. Not to torture us with us, not to, not, to, not to make us feel more shameful than we already do, but show us so that we can also see your forgiveness. And Lord, I pray sorry would become a much, more part, a much greater part of each one of our spiritual vocabulary. That, that when we say the wrong thing, when we do the wrong thing, when we when we, we think the wrong thing, when we don't do the things that we should do and say the things we should do, that sorry would be readily on our lips. Oh gosh, sorry, Lord. I missed that opportunity. Sorry, Lord. Help us to say we're sorry more so we can hear forgiven more. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to our podcast. For more information about First Church and our ministries, visit us online at welovefirst.church.